We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate and uh, happy holidays to those who don't. I've had merrier Christmases, I must say. Myself and, in fact, my whole household have been ill these last few days, so it's not been that much fun. But it is what it is. Arsenal winning an important three points made things a bit easier. Elliot, Paul and Tim will be discussing that. The 1-0 victory at home to West Brom. Unboxing Day. Interesting conversation about Lucas Perez and... And all that good stuff. So enjoy the podcast, and we'll be back again after Crystal Palace. They say that winning ugly is the stuff of champions. So, my friends, start planning that open-top bus parade. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, which I strongly recommend due to an outburst I had uh, just prior to kickoff and somewhat past kickoff uh, of the West Brom game, which we will be discussing. That's right, Arsenal's 1-0 triumph over West Brom. A, an absolute textbook example of how to play winning football. And we will get to all of the wonderful performances contained therein, uh, except that's not how I saw it. But let me introduce the gentleman who will be arguing with me today. First, there is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Hello, pause. You're wrong. Yep. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. And I'm right. Usually. <laughs> Usually. Usually you settle the argument, but today I have a feeling I'm going to get ganged up on. All right, Paul, let me start with you. First of all, I want to wish you both uh, a very Merry Christmas, belatedly, and to you the listeners You can off. Well. You're not softening me up like that. Well, fuck. Okay, fine. Look, hey, 2016 has been a bitch of a year, so let's go out kicking and screaming. Um, we'll throw our toys out of the year and the pram all at once. Um, Paul, what I want to start with is the lineup itself. Now, you can make an argument for rotation, although there were plenty of days off prior to this, so this wasn't really the game where rest was required, um, and plenty of days, days subsequent to this as well. Um, but when it comes to picking the lineup and rotating, I can understand rotating to freshen things, both in terms of uh, getting tired players some days off, and in terms of wanting to just reinvigorate a squad that may be going stale. My question for you is, Alexis Sanchez is the best center forward we have, and arguably, with the possible exception of like Cunaguero, the best center forward in the Premier League this season. So my question to you is, why start Alexis Sanchez at any position other than striker and bring Olivier Giroud in? Well, that's easy. Um, I think like anything, 
if we were discussing midfield, you can't discuss an individual player. So when you discuss Sanchez as striker, it's not just about Sanchez. It's about the setup around him. And for this game, uh, with Walcott out, you're down another goal scorer. Uh, given that your central goal scorer is going to vacate the center forward spot almost the moment the, the whistle goes. And West Brom, we're going to set up with six men at the back. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and given the staleness, we didn't need rotation because of people being tired physically or maybe even mentally at this point. But there, there was the risk of a funk uh, in terms of the team performance. They've had two outings. They could easily have gotten frustrated uh, early on or early in the second half, things not going our way. And I think the manager wanted to do something different and to give us some options that uh, West Brom couldn't ignore, couldn't repel. Now, strangely, we didn't get that many crosses in early, but Giroud began to pay off in the second half, I really felt. And the other thing I would say is, um, we had 20 shots on goal. Uh, sorry, we had 20 shots. We had 11 on goal. Uh, I think Alexis had like 10. He could have scored four. So to uh, we we have this this binary thing, and I'm often the one saying it or agreeing with it that when you have Giroud in the middle, it, it blocks up the path for Alexis. But that's a bit of an overstatement. If you do it wrong, it does. Um, we had plenty of movement. We had other players wide. We had two full backs who were basically wing backs pushed all the way up, basically giving Alexis a free roll, and he buzzed around the place, and he did. The, the, the frustrations and the challenges for Alexis were West Bromwich Albion. Albion. They weren't Giroud standing in the middle. Uh, there were plenty of other ways to get at goal. Uh, Alexis could have had three in the, at the start of the second half, um, so it wasn't the world's greatest game, but I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, you know, I had to keep telling myself that, that a lot of my issues with the game were just the fact that we hadn't scored and the tension from it. Um, well, but I, I do think it's worth pointing out. Play. Look, in the end, we got there, and we got there with shooting volume as opposed to shooting quality. At the half, we had one shot on target, which I think was indicative of our failure to be incisive uh, to be direct, to take advantage of having Olivier Giroud in the center, certainly in the sense that we weren't putting crosses into him. I mean, Paul, stay with you just for a second. If you're going to start Olivier Giroud, then isn't it incumbent? Aren't you really saying we're not going to use this sensational mobile striker that we have? We're instead going to use this big target man. Is it then incumbent upon you to play with a different style in an effort to make the best use of those those assets, so to speak? I mean. We really yeah. didn't make any effort to get wide and play crosses in. It seemed like we were playing the same football we play without Giroud, just with a less suitable center forward for it. Well, I certainly think uh, it wasn't until the second half we woke up to the fact they probably had a little chat at halftime saying, you know that big fella in the middle and all that space we have on the wings that w, uh, WBA have seeded us. You know, you put two and two together and you bang in a few crosses. Now, we still didn't bang in a bunch of them. Uh, but you want to mix it up a little bit. I mean, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have wanted us to crawl to spend our time crossing right from the start of the game. You, you, you got to play the Arsenal way to begin with, and and some fluency. But you got to mix it up a bit. We didn't in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, you're going to have that curve of them being absolutely resolute and focused at minute one, and as the game goes on, it'll loosen up a little bit over time, and and a few more gaps will occur, etc. So it's not surprising the second half was better th- than the first. Uh, but, I mean, if you if you started watching the game from 45 minutes onwards, we're really fucking good. We don't quite finish our chances. Alexis beats the their team twice uh, he over was superb in, in the again. box. He was superb um, again. And probably the hardest piece of beating every one of their players twice uh, in the one move was just finishing it off. That was, you know, he'd done all the hard work and and the goal was kind of at his mercy. I wouldn't overstate that. But I mean, the first, first 10 or 15 minutes of that second half, we could have had two or three. And so a little bit better finishing, a little bit better final ball 
um, would have taken the nerves out of this game much, much earlier. And I think we'd reflect on it more kindly. I think maybe so. 80, 80 to 90 percent that gets you right up to the finishing line was actually pretty good in the game. Not perfect, but pretty good. There was plenty of good play, good combination stuff. I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't oversell it, but I don't think we were bad at all. We were probably quite good in many aspects, but I, I definitely agree. We didn't leverage. Giroud himself didn't have a shining game, per se, and we didn't really use him that much in the first half to effect. Yeah. But uh, uh, but he was fucking brilliant when the moment came. Well, he, he was decisive, and I think that's the problem, and, and Tim, you've said this sometimes, that goals can actually be too important to the way we analyze games because you know, bad process that yields good results yeah. sometimes gets analyzed a little differently, and I thought Olivier Giroud had a relatively poor game, he made the decisive impact. And the fact that we won it also validates the decision-making beforehand. But I want to ask you several questions related to the decision-making beforehand. And the first is, do you think this was purely rotation? Or do you think this is the manager hitting the panic button and going back to Giroud as center forward? And that is what we'll see going forward. Um, I think we have to wait a couple of games to see that. I think this was a fairly simple one. Um, he didn't have Walcott available. He didn't have Oxlade-Chamberlain available. Ramsey, he said, uh, he made a point of saying he's going to reintroduce him slowly. So he was a no-no to start. So actually, our wide options were not that varied. And basically, it came down to do we play Lucas Perez or do we play Olivier Giroud? And uh, which one of those players does Arsenal trust and which one of those players does Arsenal not really trust? Um, and I think probably 90% of it was purely that. He doesn't really trust Lucas Perez at the moment. And he thought, well, I know what I'm getting with Giroud. It's the festive period. There's going to have to be some rotation. He cannot pick the same team for all four of these games that are coming up. And to be honest, we knew how West Brom were going to play. And quite honestly, I, I think process becomes slightly less important when teams just literally put 10 men behind the ball. Um, and we saw that when we drew 0-0 with Middlesbrough and we had Alexis up front and we couldn't break them down. We saw that against Burnley when we had Alexis up front and we broke them down with a set piece in the end. Um, I think when there's there's no real way, there's no specific way of slicing a team like this open when they're literally just going to put 10 behind the ball. And I'm not even talking eight, um, which a lot of teams do. This was 10. This was six across the back at all times and four in front and three midfielders in front of them. They were playing a 6-3-1 and you can't move a defence like that about because they're not moving anywhere. They're not going anywhere. They're staying on the edge of the box. So I think the kind of move them around, which you might be able to do with Alexis, that just doesn't cut it. Um, no approach really does except doing what I think Arsenal did and that's staying calm, not making a mistake, being good in your passing, not giving the ball away too often and the numbers show that Pretty much everybody had a good day in that respect. We were we were quite tight with our approach play, um, albeit West Brom were camped on the edge of their box, so perhaps you'd expect that. Um, but I think it was a mixture of those things. I also think this was slightly different because Alexis was given a very free role. Um, this wasn't what we've seen before in terms of him being on the left wing. This was him starting from the left wing but having that license to move about wherever he liked. And actually, he ended up dropping into the space that he usually occupies anyway, that kind of somewhere between the number nine and the number 10 spot. And um, I think that's also probably why we picked Kieran Gibbs, because Kieran Gibbs is more like a winger um, sometimes than a fullback. Um, he's certainly more natural in that aspect of his game. And actually, Alexis... When Alexis was scoring lots of goals from the left wing, um, it was Gibbs behind him. Sanchez hit a dry patch when Monreal came into the team. Um, and, and largely, I think that was just the mechanics of those two getting used to each other. But actually, Alexis on the left with Gibbs at left back has a good history behind it. And I think Alexis was always going to vocate that, that kind of that left wing role and come into the areas he usually comes into anyway. It's just this time we decided to have someone definitely filling the number nine spot at all times. And it wouldn't be a runner, for example. It wouldn't be Ozil breaking from deep because there's too many of their players in the box. You need more than that. So I think there were a few things going on here 
Um, and, you know, I, I was I was quite relaxed about it before because I knew exactly what West Brom were going to do. And I was thinking, like, to be honest, this is just going to be one of those games where we're going to have to be a bit clinical, take the chance when it comes. Um, I thought we set up OK. I thought we played well. I thought we stayed calm. I thought technically we were in control um, and actually kind of giving Alexis that free role. He, he was technically pretty sound um, as well, albeit he always takes risks. Um, and and I, I thought it worked OK as, as well as could be expected because no team flourishes um, yeah, and is beautiful and fluid when faced with a team that sits 10 behind the ball. Yeah, I guess... My question then is, so as a, as a team, I think you have to develop an identity, right? And over the course of the season, you want to become exceptional at something, right? You want to have a way of playing that you become exceptional in, in that style. And then as you continue to improve at it, you become tougher and tougher to play. I mean, you look at Liverpool, they're exceptional at what they do. They have a clear identity. You know, they're gegen pressing or counter pressing or pressing or something with the word press in it coffee pressing, whatever it is. Um, uh, and then you look at Chelsea with their three, whatever it is, three, four, three, you know, the three men at the back that they switched to after we waxed them. And then, you know, they've become excellent at that and got on this long winning run. And so I guess my argument is we, at least in theory, should be trying to cultivate some kind of system and some kind of lineup that plays to that system that we become exceptional at. And, you know, by moving Olivier Giroud into the team, you say, all right, we're going to play differently to to attack West Brom in a different way. But we really didn't play to Olivier Giroud's strengths. We just moved our exceptional center forward Alexis out of the center forward position and brought Olivier Giroud in. And, you know, I mean, I guess what I'm asking, Tim, is this isn't just about one game, right? I mean, you, you do, at some point, you are in a mode where you just have to approach each game individually and try to win it, especially over a busy period like this. But... There's also the question, and especially, especially Elliot. I mean, we just lost two big games. I get I mean, it. The massive hole in the bottom of the boat. At that stage, pragmatism rules. But so. like, you wouldn't have put Thierry Henry on the wing to start Reyes, you know, during the Invincible era, right? Like, you do it to rest Thierry Henry. But if Thierry Henry's starting, you're going to start him at striker because he's the best in the world. Like. I guess, you know, Tim, my question is, like, is there ever a situation where starting Alexis and not starting him at the center, at center forward, is a preferable situation? And I get that you could say, well, we were going to attack him with long balls and crosses, but we didn't do that. So, no. you know, wh I, what is I the preferable? Why is this preferable? And Thierry Henry isn't five foot seven. That's the other Well, Thierry Henry scored like two-headed goals at, at Arsenal. I mean, let's not, you know, he's not Olivier Giroud. But, but he was a presence. Right, but, but my, my point... Paul, to, to your point exactly, is fine. If we were going to play to the strength of having a target man, fine. But we didn't see that play out, at, at least not no. until the goal in the 87th minute. Go ahead, Tim. I'm sorry. And Yeah, and, and actually, to your, you know, from your point of view, I, I think that's a positive sign that um, we actually didn't try to play that differently. We still did base everything around Alexis, and 90% of the time he was in the same positions he's always in. Um it was, I think, like I said, there was a lack of personnel in terms of the wide areas. That's fair. Yeah, that's a really um, fair point. And he, you know, he Alexis played a very, very, very similar game, and we still based everything around him. It's just on this occasion, his game wasn't different. Probably Ozil's game was a bit different because you know Ozil, you know, didn't feel like he had the same license to attack those spaces that he has been recently, but that would not have been enough against West Brom's team of super mutants um, backing out the penalty area, you know, trying to find Ozil. Um, and actually what's interesting is um, if, you, if you actually look at the goal when it came, uh, Ramsey makes an excellent run and um, he might have scored himself had the delivery been slightly different. Uh, he picks out a brilliant space, but I, I, I don't, that's the thing. I don't think... And yes, in the first half, it took some getting used to. But I think we didn't really try to play differently. We just kind of said, well, look, Alexis, you just go in all the spaces you like going in anyway. And on this occasion, like Giroud's just going to be there occupying some of these super mutants. So I, I don't think at this stage it hints that, um, you know, 
him abandoning this kind of Alexis up front or going back to Olivier Giroud. I think we'll learn a lot more about that once the options beef up again, once we get Walcott and Chamberlain back in a couple of games' time. Um, and if he's still playing Giroud then, then yes, I think it, it looks like he's kind of going back, um, as it were. But I, I think he tried, basically, to get the best of both worlds. He tried to give Alexis more or less the same role, um, and but he just wanted Giroud there as, as an extra presence. I'll, I'll stay with you for one more question then. I mean, so then why, what is Lucas Perez? What what is, what is I mean, is is he Park? I mean, is is that really where we're at? Not yet, but um, I think it's it's very obvious that um, that the manager doesn't really trust him yet. He either doesn't use him at all, or only uses him in crisis situations. And I do wonder if you'd have told Arsene Wenger in mid August that, Ale- that Alexis up front was going to be okay, whether he would have bothered. Um, I mean, he he wasn't a free transfer. <laughs> No, no, but but then again, as obscene as it is, seventeen million. I get it for a striker. Of, it's it's is, bottom is of the barrel. change, mm-hmm. but he he looks like you know he might be kind of back up to Theo in that he looks like a very similar player. I.e., um, anything further back than twenty five yards from goal, and he's going to do absolutely nothing. He's not going to track back. He's not going to get involved in the build up. But he's one of these players that comes alive when the ball goes into the box. And actually, he was taking up some really good positions in the channels. Um, but en- anything kind of more than 25 yards from goal, and he's going to be invisible, which is kind of the player probably that Theo used to be. Uh, I think Theo's evolving a little bit away from that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it just, if, if you score, it, was a, it reminds me a bit of um, Baptista, you know, uh, when he scored four goals at Anfield. And then he didn't play again for another four games. <laughs> yeah. It obviously it didn't impress Wenger and not so much the hat trick in Basel wouldn't have impressed him, but the overall performance obviously didn't. And to be honest, it didn't me either. Um I I kind of thought, well, that's the only three things he did all night and you know, that's the, there are two ways of debating that. That can sound very blithe and dismissive, but I think he, he probably only kicked the ball about seven times that night. Well, you, you just know, summed up how I feel great, about Giroud but... on most days, by the way, which is other than that well, goal he scored that won us the game, he hardly did anything. I mean, Lu- Lucas did play, made a nice run, received the ball, and played a cross that should have led to the opening goal, right? Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's where he picks up um, quite nice positions in the in those channels. I I'm not certain that unless there's an in- injury crisis, I don't think we'll see him at centre forward again. I think he will pretty much always play from the right or the left, mainly the right, probably. Um, but at, at the moment, I, I'm not convinced that this is going to be, not going to not be allowed to be a successful transfer, but do you know what I mean? Like, no, I wouldn't I, be that surprised if he left in the summer. I get it. I mean, I guess my question is, like, with be playing pretty inconsistent football and Ox not being fit at the moment and playing some pretty inconsistent football, I mean... You don't think Lucas can can make an argument for being the left sided forward? Maybe, maybe, but um, Arsene Wenger obviously doesn't think so, and and that's a much bigger problem for Lucas Perez than what I think. Yeah, no, that's fair. It's surprising. Yeah, I mean, Paul, what's your take on it? Well, I just um, isn't this a bit like the Chaka thing, where he took an ungodly long time to bring him in? I mean. Perez was out injured he, and he got injured just as he started to look good. Um, and the manager hasn't had a great, you know, most selections along the way kind of made sense. I mean, even today, I mean, it's not like the managers, sorry, not today, but this game, it's not like the manager's gone off. It will be. Um, I fully understand why he put in Giroud uh, into this lineup um, to, to decide to play Perez so that you could play Alexis, I think is misunderstanding his comfort level with put, putting in Juru in this game uh, against West Brom at home. Um, I think a bit like Chaka, yes, he's taking a bit longer. Yes, he may have some concerns about the guy knitting into the team, 
but his concerns may not be nearly as deep as the kind of uh, no, uh, nobody's here is saying it's a final decision, but it just may not have anything like the gravitas. He just makes his decisions game by game. Well, and- he's, I mean, he's clearly not in the plan ahead of a Wobi or Ox at any level despite their, their inconsistencies, right, to this point. But, but He's not going to get chances at striker. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, but the, the challenge for the manager is to pick Perez ahead of uh, two players who are played in, who he knows, who fit in, who are knitted in, at key moments in the season. Well, where that he kind of why you buy a 28-year-old, though? You know what no? I mean? Like, you buy nope. a 28-year-old in part because y- you believe that – you have a better handle on who they are as a player at that point, and that with look, Paul. There's betting in, and then there's betting in. Like we're we're at January now, and the guy he was out has, injured though. I well, I know. When's for, he played? He hasn't played. He's trained with the club since he arrived. I mean, like the point is, he's he's not getting chances, and he's not getting chances not behind players who are in sparkling form and have, have been consistent. Do you remember when you were pulling your hair out with Chaka? Well, there there was reason to pull her hair out with Shaka, and I mean, I think if Santi Cazorla was fit, it's pretty clear that it would be Santi Cazorla and Francis Coughlin, and Shaka would be on the bench. I mean, real quick, Tim, do you have any disagreement but, but, with that? Whoa, 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 whoa! Yeah. Come back to come back to me. Yeah, go, go. Yeah, Shaka's uh, basically a starter at this point. Not if Santi Cazorla is fit. He's well, not. maybe not. But, oh, but that's that's a, that doesn't mean he doesn't trust Shaka. I'm not saying and, he doesn't trust Chaka, and, and I think he's had no he choice. But it doesn't mean he wouldn't play Chaka and Cazorla. We don't know yet. It's certainly for for all those people who said, "Oh, he doesn't trust Chaka." Well, he does trust Chaka. He's just took a while. Perez was out injured. Now you might be completely right, but uh, for me, it's way early to say. Uh, I can understand game by game why he picked the people he did in terms of the starters and the subs. He's often talked about. Uh, you know, players uh, talking about the second half of the season and players coming into their own then. I think there's a strong chance Perez is going to play a key role in the second half of the season, depending on how strong Welbeck is and how well the other players do. But uh, I think we're, uh, I think we're maybe a little early in saying, well, this means the manager does not trust Perez. I think he will play in one of those two games where we play two games in three days, uh, New Year's Day and the third, I guess, right? Um, and then if I don't he plays think, well. And then I don't think we'll see him in another league game the rest of the season as a, as a starter. I don't think he will start another league game this season. Bollocks. Well, I'll, Bollocks. Ma- I'll make you bet. He'll start one game the rest of the season as a, uh, in, in the league. You take that bet? Yeah. <laughs> Tim, what do you think? Over under one start in the league – Totally depends on injuries. If everyone stays fit, um, I think it might be a little bit more than one, but I'm talking two or three. If um, if Welbeck comes back okay, if Giroud stays fit, if Alexis stays fit, if Walcott and Chamberlain on, you know, don't have long-term injuries, I think basically his way in is is possibly an injury at this point. And to your kind of question, would Jack be playing now were it not for the, the kind of the injury situation to Gazzola, um, I don't know, and I don't think the manager knows either. I, I, I still don't think the manager really knows what he's doing in that central midfield. Um, I don't, you know, I think it's clear by now that, that Arsene is not a guy who, um, you know, really, really clearly, meticulously plans on buying him to do that and him to do that, and this is how I see the first eleven. He kind of comes up with like a landmass of players, and then he's like, right, I'm going to see what works. And, you know, I think Paul used the word alchemist a couple of weeks ago on a past pod, and I think that's that's a very decent word for it. Um, I think it's clear that in the early part of the season, he stayed with Coquelin and Cazorla because he was fiddling around with other bits of the team. Now they're a bit more settled. Um, I, I don't know what, what he'd be doing in central midfield. I'm not necessarily convinced he'd be wedded to Coquelin and Cazorla, but at the same time, I don't think he knows that if you asked him the question and he answered you honestly. Yeah, and I think you made a really important point, Tim, which is that I think Lucas was bought for a position where there was tremendous demand that we go out and buy someone in that position because it appeared we had one striker at the club and that striker was Olivier Giroud. Um, And Lucas was probably bought. I agree with that, by the way. Right, so he's probably bought to be cover for Giroud. Alexis. Right, well, Alexis got 
the chance, became the striker, made that position his. Giroud is now nominally kind of cover for that position. And so Lucas is arguably the third choice striker and clearly not seen as one of the first two choices at either wide position. So, you know, he's got yes. a lot of play. Well, right, but he's got a lot of players to fight past because it's a Wobie and Ox, then him on the left, we would think, or a Wobie Ox and actually Alexis Sanchez with Giroud starting. I just think if he played really, really well, he'd blow past a Wobie and Ox. I mean, he just would. I guess the question would be where would the opportunity be to play really, really well? Um, you know, he's got to do it in training. He he's just not needs getting... to. Get, what, what, he just got. He just got. Um, 20 minutes. 20 minutes, yeah. right? Gets another 20 minutes, does well. Guess what the manager does when you do that two or three or four games we'll and you're find really out. making an impact? You know what, Paul? He's going to start one of those games on the third or the first, I would think. And that's really his chance. I mean, if he if he, he played well against Bosnia. It won't Bosnia. be his only chance. Well, we'll find out. And he'll, he'll, probably, he'll probably get Preston. Oh, right. Yeah, he'll get the FA Cup. I th- but yeah, the question yeah. is, Tim, do you think a good FA Cup performance against Preston brings you into the reckoning for the manager in the league? I don't know that he even Not really, no. rates it. Yeah, okay. So, look, let's move on from that because that's becoming tedious. Um, uh, Paul, I'm enjoying I guess, it. Well, my question for you with Olivier Giroud also is this, right? My, my argument is Alexis Sanchez is our striker, and it's a, it's, it's a dynamic, exciting uh, experiment that we've tried, and it's working, and... Olivier Giroud has given us something really special off the bench against tired center backs that gives a slightly different way of of attacking the problem. And I guess my question is, did we get anything from Olivier Giroud against West Brom starting him that we couldn't have gotten starting Alexis, our best center forward at striker, letting him run around and do his thing for the first 70 minutes, then bringing Giroud on for the last 20? Did we get anything from Olivier in the first 70 that we couldn't have just done the other way and brought Giroud on for the last 20 and, and had either the same or a better outcome by sticking with our in-form first-choice striker. Yeah, we did. We got a good performance. Now, we, we again... Got a, we got a decisive goal. No, we got a good performance. Forget so, Olivia... Hang on. Yeah. Hold your horses. Forget Olivia Giroud for a second. We played pretty well in the first half. Um probably around the middle of the first half, we started to kick in and actually started to play fluid attacking football, moving the ball around, finding gaps. We started off like a storm in the second half, despite the fact, according to you, we only had 10 men on the pitch. But the reality is we played pretty well. So you take Giroud out, you put Alexis in the middle. Now you've got to change the two players around him. So you're going to have a different game. You're, you're assuming everything stays the same. Now, okay, I understand that from your standpoint, you didn't think we played particularly well. In the first half, I thought it was a poor for us. We had a little of that standy, roundy, staticky, crab passing y thing. Now, we I realize did, they also we, had 10 men behind the ball. Yeah, well, we did, but then we didn't. The, the second half of the first half was actually pretty good, and we moved them around. We finished strong. We had one so, shot on target in the half. So, I mean, it's, it's come uh, yeah, see, come Yeah, I watched the game, though. I know. I, I don't give a fuck about shots on targets. I really don't. But, but the number of games people say we created nothing, we had no shots on targets, is utter bollocks. It doesn't matter. I've seen shots on targets where they lob it into the goalkeeper's hands. I've seen shots curl around a post, uh, missing it. I've seen shots hit a post. You know Alexis's shot against the post? I get that. That's it, off that's target. That's not a shot on target. I get it. It's a point well so, made. I get. I just think it is one relative half, statistic As we overall. went along, the performance got better and better. And to say, uh, you're, you know... Uh, why not just bring him after 20, on after 70 minutes? While I understand the point, and he certainly, that would, he, he personally might have individually had the same contribution. We would have played differently. We would have had a different lineup. And I personally wouldn't have voted for that. Forgetting, say I didn't know we scored on 87 minutes. Say I didn't know the outcome of the result. I just saw the overall level of performance. I wouldn't change that lineup because okay. we played well. That's fine. Look, I, I don't, and I don't, I don't think we're bad. You know what makes this a really hard game to evaluate too? And, and Tim touched on it. And I, I think it's, it's a really tough game to it's evaluate. It's a tough game because they put so many men behind the ball, because we had 80% possession, because we played 800 passes, because... 
They had yeah. no attacking impetus. So, like, it's so hard to evaluate, right? Things that we've wanted to see, like improvement in our midfield, which has been suspect in terms of controlling matches and creating a platform to build on, that wasn't tested because they didn't contest us in midfield, right? Things like how our, our back four reacts to being stretched and some of the questions we've had about our defending with, you know, Gabrielle starting and not having Mustafi to build from the back, not relevant because they didn't put our back four under pressure and we were very rarely tasked with building from the back because they didn't contest the midfield, right? And they, they let us get the ball over the halfway line. So very, very hard to evaluate so many of the things we're looking for. And, and that's why I'm sort of zeroing in on this Giroud Alexis Sanchez conundrum and the question of moving your star striker out of that favored position because there's so little else we can glean from that. I, I mean... I guess Alexis had a free role, though. He did you have know, a free role. Yeah, of course. I, I almost feel like saying, what the hell are you complaining about? He could do whatever he wanted. He was completely freed up. Not only that, he did. He had 10 shots on goal. He peppered them at the start of the second half. No, I know. Look, I thought he played really well, and I thought he found ways to get himself involved. I thought it took him a while to sort of understand where those spaces were to get involved because, you know, if you look at his heat map, for example, he did a lot of it, you know, 30 30 40 yards out from goal a lot of his work as opposed to 15 20 25 yards out from goal but it, <clears throat> look let's talk a little bit about francis Coughlin. he's a popular uh topic on this podcast and i think one thing that a lot of people are clamoring for is the idea that in a game where we are going to have so much dominance and possession paul let, let's take the first swing at this quickly is a Francis Coughlin needed? And we know that Coughlin has been at his best this season, not when he's acting as a shield, but when he's acting as a sword, and that he's pressing aggressively and, and trying to win the ball. But what we did see, I thought, especially in the first half, but in this game, was sort of the best and worst of Francis Coughlin in this respect. A lot of ball recoveries, a lot of chaos created, winning the ball back a lot. At the same time, when it was him on, with his foot on the ball trying to play the through ball or running on to the end of a through ball, which we saw at one point, really just not, that, that nullifies that attack. That's not something that he's going to be exceptional at. What's your take on starting Francis Coughlin in games like this where we're going to have so much of the possession and what do you make of him overall? Well, I think, again, in terms of the options, it made sense on the day. I mean, it was, it's basically him or El Nenny. I like El Nenny, but he needs to do more. He needs, uh, whatever you say about Coquelin, there's a very strong good and maybe a strong bad. Um, so you, you're getting something out of him. Um, he was actually pretty effective attacking-wise at time in the first half, believe it or not. I mean, he was involved in two or three, heavily involved in two or three good attacks into the box that led to shots on goal or, or threats on goal. But yeah, that's not a strong suit. It was... Uh, pouncing on loose balls, uh, recycling, shoveling it to Chaka or Ozil or whoever. And to be honest, uh, don't get me wrong, I would love him to be a better th through baller, uh, a better passer. But, you know, I saw somebody complaining about he had 40 passes less than Chaka. Um, uh, and that's really bad from a balance standpoint. I'm like, I don't really give a fuck if he's 40 passes less than Chaka. If Chaka wins back the ball and thinks, hmm, am I the best person to put a through ball through or should I pass it to Ozil on my right and Chaka on my left who are currently evaluating angles and options, I don't really have a fucking problem with the fact that he shovels it right or left and that he has 40 passes less than Chaka. Um, so uh, as you can tell, generally... Uh, Actually, I thought he had a, a really good game. If I, I always think he is a good game. That's a slight exaggeration. But if I compare him to all the other games where I thought he was good, I think this was well above average. I thought he was very useful. When you consider the scenario and the meltdown before the game that, oh, my God, Coquelin is playing against uh, West Brom and we'll have all this possession and he, you know, he'll basically be a zero for us. Utter bollocks. He was... His anticipation to cut out, I mean, they had no, basically no counterattacks to talk of. And to some extent, it was him and Chaka. The only worry I have about us getting stuck into a Cockland conversation is we go past the Chaka ones. And again, I thought he was quietly very impressive. And they are a pairing. Mightn't be your favorite pairing on the planet, but, but they're one. And they've kind of found a way to, a bit like him and Santi, they do different things. 
And, you know, after a while, we got over beating up Coquelin because he didn't do what Santi did. Um, Chaka was quietly, I thought, very, very good with the passing. Obviously, the, some of the angle passes, the, the curve passes. Uh, and I, I'm not going to give Coquelin the credit for that. But if they find a way of making it work, um, you know, their first... You can go back to, but it doesn't always work. Hey, look at City. Their first half against City, I know, again, it's kind of tarnished by the result. But the more I looked at it, they actually were pretty decent in the first half as a pairing against City. Not a popular opinion, but I don't give a fuck. They, the whole team was just diabolical in the second half. But they've had a number of games now where they've found ways to complement each other. And that may grow over time. So I... Yeah, I'm not going to buy into the fact that he didn't contribute in the build-up or anything like that. He contributed by winning the ball, by cutting out counter-attacks and springing uh, our attack high up the pitch on the edge of their box time and time again. Him and Chaka, Chaka did quite a bit of it himself, and he was pretty good in a number of build-ups, but it's not a strong suit. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it was a bad game from Coughlin per se. I just think that it's it's a game where there's a question of whether he can be a difference maker for us. And I guess, Tim, that's my question for you is the same one. Is it in a game like this where you know the opposition is going to play defensively and entirely defensively? Do you appreciate? Coughlin more for his ball recoveries or do you see him as a hindrance because he doesn't have a cutting edge? Um, both. And that's, that's why we keep having this Touché. conversation. <laughs> I, I think, um, I mean, there, there were several times, particularly at the beginning of the second half, where attacks came directly from him winning the ball um, really high up the pitch. And, you know, there is a really good argument to say, well, when you're faced with, um, you know, West Brom playing a 6-3-1, that's your best chance of getting them. Um, and I suppose that was my only slight problem with playing Giroud was that I felt, you know, West Brom weren't exactly playing with ball playing centre backs. And I think there would have been some currency in putting them under a bit more pressure. And I think Coquelin showed that as well, that they weren't comfortable on the ball. Um, it's just, we didn't make the best of those situations, but I think what I will say look, largely, um, one of the most pleasing things for me this season, and this is just a symptom of having a good and varied squad, is Everton apart, the quality of our substitutions has actually been very good because we have not only lots of good players, but lots of good players that do very different things. And that's actually a very, very valuable quality to be able to call from from the bench. So I think that Coquelin did his job really well for about 60 minutes and then you know he perhaps started to fade a bit and then we brought Ramsey on and it completely changed it up um, and we brought Lucas Perez on as well I think they both made a difference yeah yeah they, they both did I do think that Lucas his introduction he he did make a difference by finding those those little spaces in the channels but I think that confused Alexis a little who I think really faded in the game at that point but I think almost, you know, we had this discussion about Chamberlain and Awobi the other week about actually it's quite a good balance to play one for 65 minutes and one for 25. And I think that kind of proved to be the case between Ramsey and Coquelin, um on this occasion, albeit I know, you know, Ramsey really badly messed up that chance at the end. But like I said, yeah, that was awful. But you watch that Giroud goal again. He makes a brilliant late run that is completely untracked when that when that cross comes in. And you know, had it not been Özil and Ie perfectly onto the tip of Giroud's forehead, and you know, it come to Giroud's chest, the option to chest it down to Ramsey was there. And um, he he had another really good chance similar to that Ramsey. So I think he made a difference. And I think. Um, you know, we've said this before as well, what Ramsey really needs to look at to get back into this team in his favourite position is to look at what Coquelin's doing and say, well, if I get the closing down part and I get the basically putting people under pressure and forcing turnovers, I've definitely got Coquelin on the second bit. I've definitely got, you know, I can definitely contribute more than he can uh, once the ball breaks in the final third. 
Um, Ramsey, I think, is a very technically sound player. I think something I've kind of noticed this season as well is that he's moving the ball off quite a lot quicker. One of his big weaknesses, I know, that frustrates a lot of people is him taking too many touches. Haven't seen much of that this season. Um, I think Ramsey will get a chance alongside Granite Jacker in one of the next two games. Um, and I think if he can cover off that first bit that Coquelin covers, and Ramsey is probably the player in our squad with, you know, with the energy level, the only other one in the squad with the energy levels to do something like that. If he can cover that part off, he's got the second part. So at the moment, yes, Coquelin and Jacker is the, the, the partnership. I still think it's been a little bit hit and miss, but it's it's still early days. I still think that it's missing a little something for a certain type of game, um, particularly against opponents that press us. And and you know, I th- I think um, I think I know I've I've possibly moved this discussion on from from Cochrane to Ramsey, but um, he's got a real opportunity um, in the next couple of games to to really force his way in and. You know, perhaps solve that problem for us by being, you know, by bringing us the missing part of Coquelin, as it were. Yeah, I, I think the question then is, with regardless of how you reconfigure the pieces and how you move the pieces around, I'll stay with you just for a second, Tim. Mm. Do we have to change the system if we're going to get more out of this team than what we've seen? I mean, is there, are we at a point now where the system we're using can only take us so far with this? two men in midfield and Ozil with the completely free roll at number 10. Um, does he have to reconfigure it to get more out of it? Or do you think he can still squeeze more out of the system? I think he can still squeeze a little bit more out of it. The only time I would look seriously at um, doctoring something is, is maybe for the bigger away games where it's, it's tough to justify um, having just two central midfielders and, um, you know, Ozil in that Man City game. If I was Wenger, I'd have said to him, "We can't, we can't do this in these games. We can't have you doing this. Um, you have to be, you know, we're not asking you to be your friend Matthew Flamini, but you've got to be a bit more involved. Um, at least be a spare body for us in the middle, rather than just kind of floating around." So I think that's when the question comes up when we go to Stamford Bridge, for example, when we go to Anfield, when we go to White Hart Lane. Do we go for more of a 4-3-3 shape there um, and kind of stiffen things up in the middle? Um, I, I think that's when we have that debate. I think at the moment for this type of game, we've got... It's it's still... I, I'm still not convinced that Arsene knows his best eleven if a push comes to shove, and I think he's still working that out. But he's got... At the moment, his bench is kind of getting him by a little bit as well because basically what he does at the beginning of the game is he picks his team and sometimes, quite often after 65 minutes or so, it's just not working. So he has to go to his bench and he can bring on completely different types of player. Um, And that, to an extent, is bailing him out a little bit, particularly because he hasn't worked out this central midfield yet. Um, I think we can still keep doing that. um, But once Chelsea rolls around on the 4th of February, we might have to have a firmer idea of what we're doing. Yeah, I, I mean, hopefully we'll be in the back in the conversation at that point. I mean, there's, there's a chance. Um, but an effort like we saw at Manchester City, we'll see that chance go by the wayside pretty quickly. So I agree with you about that. Paul, um, one of the popular criticisms to Levy at the manager is that he's slow to react uh, to things happening in the game. And as much as you said we had an improved second half of the first half, uh, it wasn't a great half overall, and we still hadn't uh, gotten the goal we needed to get ahead early in the second half. Do you think he was slow to react in this game? And in general, what do you think of his substitution patterns, which seem to be, for the most part, usually set around the 70-minute mark and often seem pre-planned? How do you feel about sort of the timing and the nature of the subs that the manager makes? Uh, well, so the criticisms, if the criticisms, I think, are generally fair across his uh, career and his seasons. I think this year he's been more reactive. I think this year he's had more options that can change things. I think in previous years 
he didn't have that those two or three players that that were going to get on there and definitely make things better. Um, you know, too often we saw, you know, we saw all the fullbacks a number of times over the last couple of years, and not always because he wanted to bring on fullbacks. He just needed a fresh body, and it's kind of indicative of the paucity of options he sometimes had on the bench that his best option was to bring on to have two fullbacks on one side, etc. Which, rather than being a a genius Fergie-like move, was just the fact that. He only had full backs to bring on. So, um, but the the criticism is fair overall. If you think it's criticism, um, uh, of course, what you want is a reactive manager who makes the brilliant move. I think Arson has some science in his head that says seventy minutes is a really good time statistically on the average. Uh, to bring players on to an effective game. In this particular game, the the thing you and I may struggle with is we just kind of viewed the performance at, at different levels. I thought it was better than you did, so I don't have the same urgency for obvious reasons to want to go and change things. What he needed was patience. Um, you know, we were... If you look at the period from the start of the second half to when we made the subs... Um, we weren't lacking in the build-up. We were lacking in the finishing. You know, so you're not going to pull off Alexis, and you're not going to pull off Giroud. Um, I, I don't think we lacked urgency. I don't think we lacked bite. As you said, it's a, a funny old kind of a game. So the, in some ways, there wasn't too much to change in the back two-thirds unless you could bring on a Cazorla or something to start whizzing in balls. He could have brought on Ramsey earlier. That, that that would be a fair point. Um, he could have brought on Perez earlier. Um, and, you know, wouldn't neither of those would have been bad moves or changed our attacking options. But it was going pretty good. And in these games, you should get more chances as it goes along. And patience should pay off. But uh, it takes a lot of patience to hang on to 87 minutes. So had he lost, you'd be right. He won, so, you know, you can debate it either way. But I thought we played well. We just didn't finish well. Yeah, and, and by the way, I, I mean, I think the manager gets it right sometimes by waiting and letting the players he has on the pitch try to figure it out. I mean, sure. I think sometimes there is a an urgency to change things at a time when the players on the pitch still look like they have the solution in them. I just didn't think yeah. that we looked like we had the solution in us on the day, and and we kind of did it. With I also think I also think Elliot. Uh, I mean, there are some very good managers out there who make some very clever decisions, um, but I also think there's a there's a fetish for managers who are maybe under more pressure. Maybe you're you're you know, pardue. Um but there's a whole bunch of you know two thirds of the managers in the league are under a lot of pressure. And they don't have the stability behind them that a Wenger does, where Wenger says Wenger doesn't feel it's going to impact his his position at the club if he doesn't make a substitution when we're when we're in a bad shape. I He's absolutely get your point. Uh, a manager yeah. whose job is under pressure can't afford to wait till seventy minutes in a game he's not winning because he has to be seen as taking control of the situation. Yeah, he might um, do something just to do something yeah, to he, look busy. You know, the, the interesting thing is, I have to level with you, I actually don't think subs in most games matter as much. I'm not saying subs don't make an impact. I'm saying I think more of winning the game is down to what you do to prepare for the game and how you set your team up to start the game than it is how you react at 60 or 70 minutes. Um, you know, sometimes you get lucky and the sub comes on and scores yeah. a goal. I mean, unless you are totally reconfiguring a system, right? You're bringing on yeah. an extra defender and bringing off a striker or vice versa, whatever it happens but, to be. But the game does change in the last... You know, there are opportunities there in that last 20 minutes. There's going to be more gaps. It's going to be potentially more hectic. They may sit... So there are significant... Cha- you know, there are two games. There, There is the first 70 minutes and the second, the last 20 but it's a question of whether, to your point, you can change how you're set up on the field. You may, ha- you probably started your best eleven players. You can do things with the players on the field 
but there are opportunities to bring on a, a game changer off the bench. Yeah, and look, the, the thing is, and I guess this is where I come down on the Giroud thing again to bring to bring the point home to my my fetish is that I thought he was a liability for about 60 minutes. I think if you look at the pass maps and the touches, I mean, the guy played 26 passes to Ramsey's 31. You know, Ramsey was on the pitch 17 minutes. He had 36 touches the whole game. And if you look at the pass map, he and Ozil occupied pretty similar positions throughout the game. I think that we played with, again, not to be a complete jerk about it, but 10 men for about 60 minutes because he didn't really know where he fitted into the the buildup and the attack, and there was a lot of standing and occupying the space at the D at the top of the penalty area, and I thought as the game... I, I, w- I would argue that he kept the centre-backs busy and tied them up and created a little space that, that Sanchez and, and Leso Ozil potentially took advantage of. I couldn't Maybe prove so. it. I'm not I 100% can't prove that sure. You, you may be right. Yeah. What I would say, though, is he did influence the game more as it got later and more chaotic and yeah. balls were flying into the box. And that's my only point about, you know, did we get anything more from him starting him than we would have gotten bringing him on as, a, as an impact substitute for a plan mm-hmm. B. But anyway, um, Tim, let's just quickly look ahead. We've got two games in three days, which is an absurdity that should never happen. Um, but there it is. Mm-hmm. So for you, how do you think the manager will set up for each home to palace away to Bournemouth? Um, I th- I think he'll he'll kind of go for some short rotation. I don't think that he will view one as particularly more winnable than the other. That might have been different if Alan Pardew was still in charge of Crystal Palace. If Pardew was still in charge, I think he might take the chance, not wholesale changes, but he might have taken the chance there that uh, maybe, you know, still play Alexis and Ozil. Um, but he could fiddle around with some of the other pieces and, you know, put El Nene in and maybe Lucas Perez. But now it's an Allardyce team. It's it's a different kettle of fish altogether. So I think there might be some short rotation. Um, our kind of options to rotate are slightly limited because Walcott's still not going to be available for either game, I understand. Um, not sure about Chamberlain yet. Does he think that Ramsey can start yet? Yeah, where he's, he spoke about being quite cautious about him. So actually, there's, there's not that much room for manoeuvre. Um, you know, Jeff Rana Adelaide was on the bench um, yesterday. So, you know, that, that means that we're a little bit short on options. But I imagine, you know, and I couldn't say which game this will happen in, but El Nenny will start one. Lucas Perez will start one of them. Um you know, I think Ramsey might start against Bournemouth, for example. Um, so it's it's it, and and Gibbs is out now as well. Um, so you know, Nacho's going to have to play both games. So it, it's kind of I don't think there's going to be a game where he thinks right, I'm going to rest like five six players for this and you know keep them for Bournemouth. I think it's going to be, and you know there are going to be five or six players who are going to play both games. Um, and I guess they will be obviously Alexis and Ozil. Um, I think probably Granite Jacker as well. You do um, think he'll play Alexis ball. and Ozil in both games? Yes. Yeah. And, and just um, try to make it to that Preston game and then rest him for that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think he'll keep that Preston game in his back pocket, and that's where he'll put Alexis and Ozil on the bench. Um, so I think there are a few players who might just have to get through this. Um, certainly the back five I think will stay the same Granite Jacker, Alexis Erzo I think they'll play both games the positions around them might change so you'll probably get Chamberlain in one Iwobi in the other Lucas starting one of them Giroud starting one and sitting one out um, that kind of thing I don't think you can play an Iwobi in both games I don't think you can play no. players that age in both no. games because it's hard to concentrate and, and stay switched on over that period I, I as as we saw from Iwobi yesterday he's he's I, I think he's playing much better now than he was a couple of weeks ago I thought he was really bright in the first half because he takes players on and um and that's basically against teams like this having players that commit players is is a, particularly in the penalty area is a very good idea but you also saw yesterday he, he's still not quite at the 90 minute mark yet where he can play a full 90, so he definitely can't play 180. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Paul, what about you? How do you see us setting up for the two games, or just what particular rotations do you expect? I've no clue. Um, I do. Uh, obviously, we uh, just looking at Bournemouth, 
um, our second game. So they uh, play away at Swansea is their first game. Um, so they may not be too stressed when we go to see them. So that could be quite the game. They won't have Jack uh, Wilshire. They won't have Jack Wilshire. Um, so I think we're going to... Ha- uh, I, I think we might make the changes for this upcoming game and have more our classic Arsenal-style uh, football for the a game away at, at, at Bournemouth. But uh, I won't bore you with the individual changes. So, for example, if we, uh, I would guess we might see Elneny and Perez uh, this, this upcoming Crystal Palace game. See, I, um, yeah, I, I think he's going to try to give... Ozil a day off, I suspect. Um, you, you know, he's had eight though, right? But I mean, I, I don't know that he's going to try to play Ozil two games in three days. Um, with Alexis, I just don't know if he has a choice. <laughs> I don't think Alexis gives him the option of rotating him. But I mean, I think he, well, might... he has that other really great striker, uh, Olivier Giroud. Yeah, love him. Yeah. Uh, you know what I think he could do? I think he could say, look, I'm going to put Ozil and Alexis on the bench at home to Palace. I'm going to let Ramsey play that free role behind Giroud. They've shown that they can perform together competently as as a pairing and that they seem to thrive with each other. And you know, maybe put out a, a Lucas Perez as well on the wing, sort of coming inside and making more of a two-up front. You know, we know that Allardyce is probably going to have them playing long ball and make them physical, and he's going to tell them to kick Arsenal, and Arsenal will like it up them and kick the crap out of them, and players are going to be energetic and wanting to impress their new manager. I think at home to a Palace side that's not great defensively, that's probably going to be physical and play a lot of long balls, maybe you take Alexis Nozel out of the firing, firing line. I mean, that that would make sense. Um, you know, I, I think ironically there's more pressure on the manager at home than away, um, and I'm not sure how the how the home support will react. And, and Tim, maybe you can just speak to this. I mean, is that really the danger that if it, it starts out poorly and it's not going great and the manager rotated Ozil and Alexis out at home, that it could get to be a pretty uh, damaging atmosphere pretty quickly? Um, maybe a bit, but then they'd just come on and that would go away. Yeah, what, what would happen point. is people would, people would sing their names until they came on. And then when they came on, it would give everyone a massive lift and, you know, it might be a problem in the aftermath if we don't get the result, but I don't think it would turn the atmosphere too much, no. If he was going to do it, that would be the way to do it, though, right? Probably on balance, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, well, look, I guess we'll get to find out. The good news is it'll be a lot of Arsenal. Now, I haven't spoken to you guys about this offline, so let's just do our offline business online. What do you guys say to doing one combo pod after the two games instead of trying to sneak one in, in between? Say, that works for me. S- spare the listeners from having to hear us do uh, <laughs> two pods in three days. Paul? Sure. Well, I've no life, so I was kind of looking forward to doing a couple of pods so I'd have somebody to talk to. But sure. Yeah, right. we, can, we can do that too. The only challenge is getting the pod out before the next game started. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the good news is uh, you can hear more of this fine banter where I complain about Olivier Giroud and we just yell at each other. Uh, and we can probably do an extended edition, which everybody needs in their life. Anyway, I appreciate it, guys. Paul is on Twitter at Posting in My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Who indeed, and Tim is on Twitter at Stoberto. Please follow him uh, and read his stuff on Ars Blog. Thanks, Tim. And I was right again. Yeah, he was. <laughs> that's that's the thing about Tim. He's often right. What was right. he right about this time, though? I, I everything. I oh, oh, hey, okay. Tim. Real, real, that's real, real easy. quick before we say goodbye. You spotted a fight between Lucas and uh, Gabriel on the pitch that he tweeted about, and then the manager yeah. came out and said. Uh, <laughs> that I th- thought the manager was quite convincing when he said this, by he, the way. He said they were close friends, and it's nothing to worry about. Uh, in your <laughs> opinion, having seen it, just close friends, or maybe something to keep an eye on? Uh, uh, maybe, maybe. Um, I don't know, but it, but it was... Um, so it was just after Ramsey made an awful hash of that chance, and um, Perez had kind of moved into a central position, and along with... He wasn't alone in this, a few other players didn't make a huge attempt to get back but I think Gabrielle's point might have been along the lines of you've only been on the pitch for 20 minutes and he was furious at him and shouting at him for a long time and then it stopped and then the final whistle went and Gabrielle went up to Perez again and um, I think they sensed that they needed to have this out in the dressing room because they both disappeared down the tunnel very very quickly so I don't know if there was a kind of let's have a frank discussion about this afterwards you know, because the game's going on and we don't want to be at each other's throats. 
well, we've got a job to do. So they both went down the tunnel very quickly and I can see down, well, I can see down most of the tunnel from my seat and it was, it was kind of continuing there. But I, you know, I don't think it's anything to be massively concerned about. And as one of those bores that thinks that Arsenal are far too nice, I was actually quite pleased to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Usually the dressing room is reserved strictly for topless selfies, but I suppose arguing about football is, is a superior use for that. Paul, did you want to chime in on the fight, or can we end this thing? We can end it, but, uh, I, you know, Tim had, had said that about the, the fight on the on the way down the tunnel. So, But when the manager, t- I mean, I genuinely believed him when he said the friendship thing, that, you know, you can say it convincing and then you can be really convincing so i did actually think they sounded like best friends at the end of that so i'll be intrigued to watch i I bet you believe him when he says the team has great mental strength as well i do yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) hey um i want to wish everybody a very happy new year uh and be one of many to say 2016 can fuck right off uh although that's kind of an overplayed thing at this point so you know what We'll get in line. Anyway, um, yeah, have a very happy new year, everybody. Hopefully the Arsenal make it a great New Year's Day. We'll be back with a pod potentially between the two if Paul and his lack of life convinced him and I to do it. But more likely, we'll be back after the Bournemouth game. Six quick points in uh, three days. It'll be fun. We'll enjoy talking to you about it after that. Cheers, and have a very happy new year.